Welcome to the Teach Me Lit podcast. I'm Sophie Tuvey and I love talking about books and helping you to revise for English literature and go deeper in the texts you're studying. I'm going to consider the role of Al Fury in Miller's A View from the Bridge. And um, the first thing that needs to be established is that Miller is writing the play using the structure of Greek tragedy. And in Greek tragedy, there was usually a chorus. And the chorus would usually speak at the beginning of each act um, and at the end of the play, at these kind of significant moments. And the chorus would be commenting on the action of the play um, as observers. So the chorus would not be part of the play itself, um, but they would they would comment on it. Now, usually the chorus would actually be a bunch of people. Um, nowadays, we tend to refer to chorus as in like in a musical where you've got like a, a company of people on stage singing a song. Um, in Greek tragedy, they tended to be not singing, but um, performing uh, vocally in a group. Um, and commenting on the play. They could use song, but they could often just recite speeches. Um, so what's interesting with um, the traditional role of the chorus is that they would be completely separate from the main action. Um, just looking at um, a definition on Britannica.com, and it says, the distinction between the passivity of the chorus, that means the fact they don't do anything, and the activity of the actors is central to the artistry of the Greek tragedy. While the tragic protagonists act out their defiance of the limits subscribed by the gods for man, the chorus expresses the fears, hopes and judgment of the polity, the average citizens. Their judgment is the verdict of history. So what that's saying is that in a view from the bridge, Miller is using Alfieri the lawyer character, to function as a chorus because whilst he is part of the world of the play, he is also observing the actions of Eddie, Marco, Rodolfo, Catherine, Beatrice, all these characters. Um, He's passive in that he doesn't do anything to intervene um, apart from perhaps when he bails um, Marco and Rodolfo out so that Rodolfo can marry Catherine. Um, and he's watching the inevitable actions of Eddie. Um, and as Eddie is defying what we would say is natural law, as in the kind of law that he cannot have his own niece. Um, well, as we watch him defy that limit, Alfieri expresses the fears and the hopes and the judgment of the average citizen, which obviously mirrors the audience. So Alfieri very much vocalises how the audience will feel at various points in the play and leads the audience in their response. Now, um, when Alfieri opens the play up, he gives some background to the community of Red Hook um, that faces the bay on the seaward side of Brooklyn Bridge. Now, just as the Brooklyn Bridge is in the title, A View from the Bridge, um, is symbolic of, um, I don't know, American opportunity. Al Fieri himself, as a character, could be seen as a bridge. He's bridging the audience and the world of the play. 
So there's a sense of symbolism here as he introduces the geographical location by um, Brooklyn Bridge, but he himself is a symbolic bridge so the audience can access the play. Now, he introduces the play um, similarly to any chorus in Greek tragedy by explaining the inevitability of the demise of the protagonist. So um, he says about most of his cases being pretty mundane, um, but then every few years there is still a case, he says, where something interesting happens. Um, and he he introduces Eddie's case um, and, dis- and says um, how he was powerless and watched it run its bloody course. Now that makes it really clear to the audience. It signifies this is the kind of play you're going to watch. It's an ordinary man in an ordinary setting, but something out of the ordinary is going to happen um, and it's not going to end well. And that really sets up the tone for the whole play. Now, as um, the characters are introduced, Eddie, Beatrice and Catherine in their domestic setting, and as the um, immigrants arrive, um, at various points, Alfieri does give a comment on the action. So once um, Rodolfo and Marco have have entered and clearly there's beginning to be tension, um, Rodolfo, Catherine offers sugar to Rodolfo and Rodolfo says, sugar? Yes, I like sugar very much. The stage directions say that Eddie is downstage watching as she pours a spoonful of sugar into his cup, his face puffed with trouble and the room dies and then the lights rise on Alfieri. And this is what Alfieri says. Who can ever know what will be discovered? Eddie Carbone had never expect to have a destiny. A man works, raises his family, goes bowling, eats, gets old, then he dies. Now, as the weeks passed, there was a future. There was a trouble that would not go away. So it's really interesting that in that very mundane domestic act of pouring sugar into Rodolfo's cup, um, Miller is is foreshadowing the way that Catherine is going to... um, want to marry Rodolfo and those simple domestic actions that currently up until this point she's only done for Eddie you know getting him the cigar getting him a beer all those kind of things she's now transferring to Rodolfo and of course Eddie's watching downstage there's that physical distance on the stage between the characters he is watching and he doesn't like what he sees and it's this um catalyst really that exposes his taboo desire for Catherine um, and then Alfieri really um, explains to us what's going on here and it's interesting that whilst we know that this trouble that will not go away is something taboo something that Eddie really should be repressing and moving on for we also want that because as an audience we want drama we want conflict um and so Alfieri's comments here um increase our interest and increase tension um because Alfieri says Eddie Carbone had never expected to have a destiny and what we're seeing is a man who's got a very ordinary life in working raising a family eating dying but something's happening now to interrupt that course, that boring course of action, to inject some something new and exciting and taboo and everything else. So as an audience, we want that. And our theory is encouraging the audience to see the dramatic element of this. Um, 
and also obviously foreshadows the, the darker turn of events. Now, an important scene to look at for Alfieri is when Eddie becomes increasingly concerned about uh, Catherine's relationship with Rodolfo. And so Eddie seeks out Alfieri and really, really rants at him with all of his concerns about Rodolfo. So in this scene, really, this is still in Act One, Alfieri is the voice of reason here. He listens to Eddie sympathetically, um, but he tries to tell Eddie over and over again, look, the law, there's, there's nothing that he's doing wrong, apart from obviously entering the country illegally. There's nothing that Rodolfo is doing wrong. Eddie has no legal hold on Catherine and no right to prevent her from marrying Rodolfo if she, if she wants to. So what's interesting in this dialogue is that there's so many times when Alfieri tries to say something and Eddie just cuts him off and interrupts him. So I'm just looking at, um, in my edition, it's page 35. Eddie says, I mean, if you close the paper fast, you could blow him over. Alfieri says, well, that doesn't mean Eddie cuts in. Wait a minute, I'm telling you something. He sings, see, which is, I mean, it's all right, but sometimes he hits a note, see, I turn around. I mean, hi, you know what I mean? Alfieri says, well, that's a tenor. Eddie says, I know a tenor, Mr. Alfieri. This ain't no tenor. I mean, if you came in the house, you didn't know who was singing. You wouldn't be looking for him. You'd be looking for her. Alfieri says, yes, but that's not. Eddie cuts in. I'm telling you something. Wait a minute. Now, there's so many times on this page where um, Alfieri tries to respond, tries to respond rationally and says, well, you know, yeah, okay. Yeah, but it could be this. It could be that. Every time Eddie just cuts him off. Um, I'm trying to tell you something. I'm trying to tell you something. Now, this reflects a kind of sad thing about Eddie is that Eddie's unable to really speak his desires and speak his true feelings um, in his house. So he's going to Alfieri as this friend and um, character in his community, but outside the situation. And Eddie's essentially confiding in him because he has no one else to talk to. He doesn't know what to do with all these really strong emotions that are inside him. And he's trying to articulate them. And in this repetition of the phrase, I'm telling you something, that repetition of that phrase, it's really emphasising Eddie's desire to articulate what's hidden. And that's something that Alfieri says right at the end, you know, um, about Eddie being fully known. That's what Alfieri means. The fact that Eddie tries his best to articulate um, what he's truly feeling. Now notice Alfieri can't, really say very much in return Eddie won't even let him it in a sense Eddie's not going to Alfieri for advice really I mean he says he is what he's really going to Alfieri for is just to vent and express his feelings so everything that Eddie says Alfieri tries to um to interrupt and there's a few moments where he manages to say things that are very clear that are a clear warning to Eddie that he needs to listen to. So, for example, he says at the bottom of page 35, you have no recourse in the law, Eddie. Now, Eddie, again, kind of butts in and starts stammering. Yeah, but if he ain't right, Mr. Alfieri, you mean to tell me? And then Alfieri interrupts Eddie. Okay, so there's a little bit of a switch in the power here. Alfieri interrupts Eddie. There is nothing you can do, Eddie. Believe me. Eddie, finally seeming to hear this, repeats nothing. 
our theory reinforces the point. Nothing at all. There's only one legal question here. Eddie says, what? Our theory says, the manner in which they entered the country. But I don't think you want to do anything about that, do you? Now, this is the point where I think Eddie begins to realise his options. When he realises that he has no legal way of stopping Rodolfo marrying Catherine, his only way, as Alfieri points out, is to basically remove Rodolfo because of being an illegal immigrant. And at this point, I think it becomes clear what Eddie is going to do that Eddie is going to betray his community, he's going to betray them, the immigrants, he's going to call the Bureau just because he wants to get rid of them and he sees that as the only way that he can do anything about that. Now, Alfieri is the one who, who basically tells him that's his only option, but Alfieri makes it really clear that it's not something he should do. Um, Alfieri gives a bit of an extended speech here that's, that's very important. He says, Eddie, I want you to listen to me. You know, sometimes God mixes up the people. We all love somebody, the wife, the kids. Every man's got somebody that he loves, huh? But sometimes there's too much, you know? There's too much and it goes where it mustn't. A man works hard. He brings up a child. Sometimes it's a niece, sometimes even a daughter. And he never realizes it. But through the years, there is too much love for the daughter. There is too much love for the niece. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Alfieri has seen the unhealthy interest that Eddie's taking in Catherine. Now, Eddie just brushes it off. He says sardonically, what do you mean? I shouldn't look out for a good. And Alfieri says, yes, but these things have to end, Eddie. That's all. The child has to grow up and go away. And the man has to learn to forget. Because after all, Eddie, what other way can it end? Let her go. That's my advice. You did your job. Now it's her life. Wish her luck and let her go. Will you do that? Because there's no law, Eddie. Make up your mind to it. The law is not interested in this. Now, this absolutely crucial speech is where Eddie is shown very clearly the right course of action that he must take. And it involves sacrifice on his part. It involves the fact that he's brought Catherine up and he has to let her go. And that is ultimately the choice that he doesn't want to make. He he needs to do the right thing, to be selfless, to allow her to make her own decisions and to deal with it. He needs to learn to forget her. He needs to learn to focus on his marriage. And he needs to accept that Catherine's been brought up as his daughter. She doesn't see him in a romantic way anyway. She's his niece. He needs to let her go. So Alfieri is the one who very clearly tells Eddie what he should do. Now, you could liken Alfieri to Beatrice because Beatrice equally sees Eddie's um, sort of taboo inclinations. Beatrice sees exactly what's going on. But Beatrice never gives as clear a, a speech as this. I mean, she does tell Eddie, look, she's got to grow up. She's got to leave sometime. But um, it's only at the end when Beatrice says, you know, you can't have her. That's the only time that Beatrice really talks clearly about this. So Alfieri at this point is the only person speaking these words into Eddie's life, speaking these words into, into his life to, to tell him what he should do. And then on the back of this uh, speech, Eddie begins to reveal his real helplessness. 
Um, and he gives that, that long impassioned speech. You know, what can I do? I'm a patsy. What can a patsy do? I worked like a dog 20 years so a punk could have her. So that's what I'd done. I mean, in the worst times, in the worst, when there wasn't a ship coming in the harbour, I didn't stand around looking for relief. I hustled. When there was empty piers in Brooklyn, I went to Hoboken, Staten Island, the West Side, Jersey, all over because I made a promise. I took out of my own mouth to give to her. I took out of my wife's mouth. I walked hungry plenty days in the city. And now I've got to sit in my own house and look at a son of a bitch punk like that, which he came out of nowhere. I give him my house to sleep. I take the blankets off my bed for him. He takes and puts his dirty, filthy hands on her like a goddamn thief. And Alfieri says, but Eddie, she's a woman now. Eddie says, he's stealing from me. And, you know, it's clear that Catherine is, is this kind of commodity that Eddie's just desperately trying to hold on to. But she's a person. She's a young woman. She has to go. And Eddie's speech is that kind of, it reveals his his tragic helplessness. There is nothing that he can do. So we watch um, as Alfieri very clearly tells Eddie, you know, this is what you should do. And we watch very clearly as Eddie ignores the good advice that he's given to his own detriment. And there's a sort of final confrontation between um, Eddie and Alfieri where the phone box lights up on the other side of the stage and Alfieri's sort of desperately dragging Eddie in the opposite direction. But we know that, that Eddie's going to go and make that phone call. So by the end of the play then, we've seen Eddie ignore the good advice. We've seen Eddie act upon his desires, which is not a, a rightful thing to do. And um, we see Eddie die in Beatrice's arms. And Alfieri comes out of the crowd to address the audience at the end of the play. And he says, most of the time now we settle for half and I like it better. But the truth is holy. And even as I know how wrong his death was, he, sorry, how wrong he was and his death useless, I tremble. For I confess that something perversely pure calls to me from his memory. Not purely good, but himself purely, for he allowed himself to be wholly known. And for that, I think I will love him more than all my sensible clients. And yet it is better to settle for half. It must be. And so I mourn him. I admit it with a certain alarm. And by ending the play with that word alarm, I think that really encapsulates the audience's mixed reaction to Eddie's life we don't approve of his actions we can see how he was motivated by wrong desires but something in us admires him for desperately fighting the inevitable um, and i think that's what our theory really sums up at the end of the play if you've enjoyed this podcast and found it helpful please hit subscribe and share it with a friend you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for Teach Me Lit. I'm always open to requests, so if you want me to talk about a text you're studying, get in touch. Thank you for listening. See you next time on the Teach Me Lit podcast.